Let's go ahead and take our Bible this morning. Let's go to Exodus chapter number 33. And thank you so much for the testimonies. That was very powerful and I appreciate the transparency and the help there. And there's many more testimonies that could be given. We might pick them up again this evening. I do need to, um, to put a qualifier on Brother Baker's testimony. <laughs> you, your, your, your place of employment cannot hold us responsible if you decide to show, not show up one day because you had a, a strong <laughs> leading that you weren't supposed to go in. I, I, I can't be responsible. Now, Brother Baker could be responsible. He may employ you if you get fired from your job. But what he's saying is that in, in, with respect to what you do, with respect to what I do, the key is listen to God, follow God. And we all have responsibilities and duties and, and they don't conflict. My responsibility as a husband and a father and a pastor and a Christian and a church member doesn't conflict with each other. Well, how do we, we do find them bumping into each other. So how do I find the balance? Listen to God what God tells us to do. And a lot of what we listen to is what he's already given to us in his word, but experiencing him allows us to subjectively know his leadership in specifics. And that's what he's referring to. I've got, he's got a specific template in Brother Baker's life and specific template in your life. And we're thankful that what he leads us to do subjectively will not contradict what he says to us objectively in his word. Very helpful. Exodus chapter 33. I want to, as we're trying to give you why we're going into what, I'm sorry, stay in, um, where did I say to go? Just get there, whatever it is. Uh, did I say 33? Let's go to 33. We'll, we'll, we'll do it in 33. I've got three different places here. I, I want, want to give you a picture and let you see a real picture in the Old Testament as to where I think as I've watched, as we've traversed this experiencing God journey and help us as we go back through again. We don't want to just go through the same, take the same class over. It's not like you took a class and you audited it. You didn't get credit. Now you're going to take it again for credit. We're not doing that, but it's like, um, if you ever put anything, uh, you, you, I'm not a cook. And so I use the microwave. And if you're putting anything in the microwave and, and it's, it dings and, and then you open it up and it's smoking and yet if you put your finger down in that, it's cold on the inside, it's very deceiving. It's what I think Hosea talks about uh, being uh, half-baked, uh, cake not turned, it's not done all the way through. And so uh, just because it's smoking on the outside doesn't mean it's done on the inside. And I think that sometimes we need to go back through some things. And, and that's where it's encouraging listening to so many of you talk about going back and listening to the messages and going back and, and, and feeding on those and taking notes and trying to, you, you don't want just to get the outside done. You want it to be internalized on the inside. And so I want us to go back through this. I think others have joined us partway through. Some have become awakened towards the end of it. And as we reread it, you're going to pick up things you didn't read the first time. And that's the way it is many, many a times. I, how many times, Dr. Childs, have you read the Bible? Over 200 times in the New Testament. And do you ever come across anything new? All the time. All the time. It's the same words, the same book, 
but because it's a living book, it always is going to speak to us. And um, there's no new truth, but God is confronting us. His mercies are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. And so because God is alive, it doesn't get old. He doesn't get old. He doesn't get boring. We do, but He doesn't. And so we, we have more ground in which we can experience God pioneering within our life. So I want us to look at this. In Exodus chapter number 33, let me turn over to there as well and read. look at verse number 9. And it came to pass, as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses, face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Now, I want us to look this morning at this matter of experiencing God, intimacy with God. What is it that separates ordinary Christians from the so-called great Christians? What separates the informal relationship with God from the intimate relationship with God? Knowing God intimately is a personal matter. Henry Blackaby said in page 34 of my book, you can have all the right notions in your head without ever tasting in your heart the realities to which they refer. Psalm 34, verse 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. See, the degree of intimacy that you have with God is determined by you. God's already determined you can be as close to Him as you want to be. Unfortunately, the qualifying conditions or more stringent and exacting than we're prepared to meet. So we settle for a less demanding level of Christian living. In other words, God says you can be as close to Him as you want to get. But He does have some qualifiers. That is, you're going to have to trust Him. You're going to have to surrender to Him. You're going to have to hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done. But you can be as close to him as you would like. And you can be as intimate with God as you desire. Everything in our Christian life and service, it flows from our relationship with God. See, if we're not in vital fellowship with him, everything else is going to be out of focus. Everything will. You, you remember... Jacob, we, we heard preached about Jacob. Remember when, when Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery, they concocted the plan. They took that coat that everyone knew who knew Joseph. This was his coat, especially his father, brought the coat and said, um, look what happened. They didn't say Joseph is dead, 
but they let him think what he wanted to think based upon what he was shown. And so Jacob made the conclusion he's dead. Look at this. He must have been eaten up. Satan is a master at faults perspectives at an illusion he'll give you the perspective you're not going to make it he'll give you the notion that everything is is off kilter everything is coming crashing down he'll turn you into chicken little really fast the sky's falling everything's happening well the sky might be falling from the sense of God's trying to get a hold of you and the bottom might be falling out because God's trying to get a hold of you but everything is under his control everything is going according to his will and plan but the truth is we often are are assuming and thinking that God will let me serve him on my terms I'm not as bad as others and and after all, I don't know of any churches that expect us to do too much or I don't know. I mean, I'm, that's why we have circles. That's why we have groups. That's why people tend to, uh, what, what are birds of a feather flock together. And, and, and so we like to be like-minded, not with truth, but like-minded with other minds like ours. And if you don't think that you have to be all in, I don't think we have to be all in. Let's find some others who don't think we have to be all in. But I want to tell you what you and I think is not as important as what God demands. And God is very serious about this love relationship. And so he's not asking you, what do you think about it? He's not asking you if we should rewrite the contract. A relationship with him, he compares to a marriage relationship. And a marriage is not a contract, it's a covenant. But the world treats it like a contract. And so we treat our relationship with God a lot like a contract. You know, I'm I'm going to renew my contract with God. They call it um, rededication. There's no such thing. No, it's just repentance. You need to get right with God. If He saved you, you're His. And and it's not a degree to which you belong to Him. You belong to Him. He's God. You're not. You're not partly God. You're not on equal footing as to uh, Him consulting with you. You're not one of His counselors. You're not one of His consultants. We're His children. We're His servants. We're, We're His people. He's our God. And so if we're not in a vital fellowship with him, everything is going to be out of focus. But when our communion and experiencing him is close and it's real, it's not only possible to experience a growing intimacy with God, but it's an incredible journey of knowing God. So I want us to dive into this real quick. I want you to see four categories. It's not four categories of a relationship, but it's four categories that we see of, of the, the nation of Israel, uh, of these group of people here in the Old Testament, that shows that this matter of intimacy is on our end. Four degrees of intimacy with God. And each category, there's a greater, there's a more intensifying intimacy that results from a deeper revelation and awakening 
of God's character. Dr. J. Elder Cumming, he's, one, he's a, been an old um, uh, Christ life uh, preacher in years gone by. He said this, quote, in almost every case, the beginning of a new blessing is a new revelation of the character of God, more beautiful, more wonderful, more precious. In other words, he's saying anytime, it's another description of revival. In every case where there's a reviving, there's an awakening, there's another level, another dimension. What's happening is God is revealing, God's making known to you. The very God, the same God who saved you is kind of like a diamond. You can take that one diamond, you can turn it and see many different facets of one diamond. And you and I can behold our God for decades, for centuries, for thousands of years. We'll never exhaust the facets of the diamond of our divine God. And so every time we experience an awakening, every day, every moment, there's, a, there's an intimacy with God. He's revealing to us who He is. And that ought to make all, I'm telling you, you get a hold of that, that'll, that'll just lick the red right out of your candy. And if you understand that God wants you to know him, and it hinges upon you as to what you do with that. On several occasions, we find Moses illustrating this. We just read that. We find Moses on the mountain. The book of Exodus, you really could divide it into two categories. Chapter 1 through 18, it deals with God's people as slaves. In chapter 19 through 40, it deals with God's people who are freed to worship in a relationship with Him. And on several occasions, God called Moses to a mountain, Mount Sinai, to have fellowship with Him. Twice that conference lasted 40 years. I mean, excuse me, 40 days. And... One of those occasions, the people, the nation, they accompanied Moses. And I think within that setting, we can see these four degrees of intimacy as we look at the life of Moses on the mountain. Go to chapter 19 real quick, and we'll see this first group. It's what I would say is the crowd. We find the crowd. And this is where many of God's people would be found in the crowd. You find it in the New Testament as well. In Exodus chapter 19, notice in verse number 11. Go to verse 10. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day for the day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not up into the mount or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. And so here you have the crowd. The law was about to be given. God told Moses, you go prepare the nation for the manifestation, the appearance, a meeting with God. And the people could approach the mountain, but they could not ascend it or they'd be put to death. Barriers were erected to keep them at a distance. Over in chapter 24 and verse number 2 tells us that Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come nigh, neither shall the people go up with him. Now, 
Why would the people be excluded? Here you've got the crowd, the entire nation. They could come to the mountain, but they couldn't ascend to it. We're told in chapter 24, verse 2, we'll get to that in a moment. Only Moses could ascend. Why were the people excluded from ascending into the most intimate place on the mountain? Well, two thoughts. One, they were either unqualified. Remember, he said to them they needed to change their clothes. They needed to be clean. Joshua said the same thing in Joshua chapter 5. Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders. There's a need for cleansing to be clean. Either they were unqualified or number two, here's where I think a large part existed. They were uninterested. They just were not all that interested in getting too close. They'll go if the crowd goes. But God wasn't interested in the crowd just getting close because the crowd was getting close. Remember, I said Jesus in John chapter 6, you find a multitude of disciples that walked away from Jesus. Multitude of disciples. And he let them do so. Why? Because they were uninterested in following him for the sake of following him. And Jesus was not trying to hold the door shut. He turned to the others and said, you're going to join them. See, God is God whether we're with him or not. We are not making God happy by hanging out with him. And he's not trying to keep us happy by giving us what would make us feel good. So he doesn't lessen the demand and he's not lessening the qualifiers as to what is necessary to experience a relationship with him. While they did have a vision of God, the people had a vision. But at the base of the mountain, we're told in chapter number 20, verse 18 and 19, they were afraid to hear God's voice. And they were satisfied just to hear Moses. They were afraid to hear God's voice and they're satisfied to hear Moses. But Moses, we're going to see in just a moment, only heard God's voice, but he saw God's glory. How tragic. When God's people settle for the lowest level, when there are new heights to be gained, new blessings to be uh, experienced, there's new revelations to be sought with God with our whole hearts, yet God's people will settle for the lowest level. Oh, they'll, they'll hang out. They, they don't want to be exposed, so they'll stay with the crowd. But you just linger with the crowd so you don't get exposed, so you don't stand out. You might be accepted among the crowd, but you're going to miss out on intimacy with God. But that's the crowd. I want you to go to chapter 24. I want us to see a second group. It's a smaller group. The crowd doesn't go up, but in chapter 24... Notice in verse number 9. Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. Verse 9 tells us there are 74 people here. In verse number 10, and they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of a sapphire stone, and as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel, he laid not his hand. Also, they saw God 
and did eat and drink. So the first category is the largest one. It's the nation. It's the crowd. The second category is the category of 74. Moses, Aaron, Aaron's two oldest sons, and 70 elders. Now this 74, they advance past the barriers. They uh, exclude the, the barriers that kept the rest of the nation at bay. And it provided for these 74 much more intimate vision of God than the majority of the people. That's what we're told in verse 10. Verse number 10 also helps us understand that the intimacy that they experience, it comes through communion with God. Now, they had a limited vision of God and His transcendence, but they did get a glimpse of the eternal. Apparently, their sight was so grand and awesome that their eyes saw only below His feet. The splendor of God looked like sapphire. One of the most amazing texts in the Bible, these men saw God. Verse 11 uses another word and stresses an inward spiritual sight that they had. Verse 11 says they saw God and they did eat and drink. There must have felt a real and conscious sense of the divine presence. However, this experience was far beyond that of the, the people that were left that, who didn't go past the barrier because they were unqualified or uninterested Yet this, these 74, what they experienced was not permanent. Their communion was interrupted. They did not stay in communion. You say, how is that? Well, they weren't deliberate about staying in communion. A short time later, this same group were found worshiping a golden calf. This same group that went beyond just attending church who went to the special meetings and who went around the circuit of the camp meetings and, and, and were going to get as much as they could, they could be found sometime later when there wasn't the, the leadership in their life and they were found worshiping a golden calf. Why? Because their communion was interrupted. Don't tell me this matter of experiencing God is, is not a big deal. Listen, some of you look like you're groggy. You stay up late last night. You stay up late last night. Don't give God the short end of it this morning. Amen. Yeah, we haven't even got started. And this is just Sunday school. They had a vision of God. But the second group showed that they were not qualified to ascend to the top of the mountain into deeper fellowship. Why? Because somehow there's a contentment to not go further than where I would like to be. And this matter of my relationship with God, it doesn't hinge upon what I want. It hinges upon what He desires. You're not convinced of that, I see. Let's go on to a third category. Look at chapter 24 and verse number 13. We start with the nation. We get down to 74. Notice in verse 13, And Moses rose up and his minister Joshua. And Moses went up into the mount of God. And he said unto the elders, Tarry ye here for us until we come again unto you. And behold, Aaron and her are with you. If any man have any matters to do, let him come unto them. This third category. How many are we talking about now? 
We went from the crowd to the 74. Now we're down to two. See how quickly the numbers have dwindled as the mountain path grows steeper? Of all Israel, only two have qualified for the inclusive third category of intimacy with God, Moses and Joshua. Joshua accompanied Moses for six days in an intimate retreat with God. What was Joshua's special qualification for that privilege? Let me just give you what I think here. One is you find that Joshua is described as a man of God. He's Moses' servant. Joshua would have many errands and services to perform, but whenever he was free from those duties, he made his way to the tabernacle. That's what we're told. Look in chapter number 33. Chapter 33 and verse number 11. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. He departed not out of the tabernacle. What was the tabernacle? Well, the tabernacle was where the Shekinah glory of God rested. In other words, it's where God manifested His presence to His people. And what does it say about the place where God manifested His presence to His people? Joshua, he would not depart out of there. When he could get there, he got there. And when he could stay there, he stayed there. He would have been present on many occasions when the Lord spoke to Moses face to face. Joshua saw it and Joshua said, that's what I want. This he enjoyed, this intimacy with God that it was only excelled by Moses. While Joshua, he ascended higher than the nation. He went further than the 74. And yet he goes to this glory-covered mountain further than any of his contemporaries. But he still fell short of the vision that was experienced by Moses. Why was it that Joshua, he was able to see what he did see? Because he got to the place where he could see it. You say, where's that place? God. Experiencing God. Which leads me to the fourth category, and that's Moses. Look at chapter 24, verse 15. And Moses went up into the mount, and a cloud covered the mount. And the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. You find a very quaint way of explaining something that none of us 
could fully imagine. Oh, our, our creativity uh, could maybe work some things, but this was not just some whim of an experience. You had that first category at the base of the mountain, a large group of people. We're here, but we're not going to get too close. They waited for the words of the Lord. They waited for Moses to tell us what God said. That's the majority of the group. The second group was Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders who ascended higher, and they met with the Lord. Then you have the third group. That's Moses and Joshua. They moved even higher. But then this fourth, Moses, Moses alone, he went up higher and higher, and there he saw the glory of the Lord. See, the people in the outer category, that large nation, they saw only the consuming fire and they feared. They just thought, man, why, why would we want to get into this? Why would we want to get any further? Because just like the older brother in Luke chapter 15, when his father was rejoicing because the prodigal had come home, they had a time of rejoicing, which is what revival is, that we would rejoice in thee, and, and the father's rejoicing, and the older brother, all he heard was a bunch of noise. When a person is out of sorts with God, a revival meeting sounds like a bunch of noise. Experiencing God talk sounds like a bunch of noise. But Moses experienced an intensifying intimacy of communion with God. Exodus 33 and verse 11, The Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. It doesn't sound like anything that ought to be scary. Numbers 12 and verse 8, With him will I speak mouth to mouth. What could be more intimate, friend to friend, face to face, mouth to mouth? That's the kind of relationship God had with his people. Is there any parallel to that in your experience with God? Moses shared in God's divine perspective. He was daring enough to make the request in Exodus 33 and verse 13. He said, show me now thy way. One of the great tragedies I find of God's people is that they make assumptions. Think I'm okay. Think I'm pretty good. I don't think I need to go any higher with God. I don't think I need to go any further. I think I'm doing pretty good. Again, David didn't pray, search me, old David. He prayed, search me, oh God. Your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. You can't know it. I can't know it, but God does. You know, the reason why we have preaching and reason why we have invitations is because you've got a bunch of wicked hearts that sit in our church. Not the people outside skipping, but the people that come in who are content not to get too close to God. But Moses desired to know God. God's principles, God's purposes. And why shouldn't he? He and God were true friends. When the nation turned to worship the golden calf in Moses' absence, God's anger was kindled and he said to Moses in chapter 32 and verse 10, Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them, then I will make you into a great nation. Moses' integrity and his selfless love for others in Exodus 32 and verse number 22. He says, yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin and if not blot me, I pray thee out of thy book which thou hast written. How could Moses intercede for people who had turned their back on God? 
Because Moses experienced, he tasted, and he saw that the Lord was good. And he said, oh, if only they too could see this and sense this, they wouldn't want the substitutes. You know what a pacifier is? It's a substitute. It's a substitute. Why would you want a pacifier when you could have God? Why would you want cotton candy Christianity when you could really have God? The intensity and selflessness of his intercession, it grew out of his intimacy with God. Do you know what our prayer meetings reflect? It reflects the Moseses. Our prayer meetings reflect those who want to go higher with God. Because when you are not on speaking terms with God that way, you don't really desire to go on a date with God called prayer meeting. Why would we sit around and talk to God? See, people don't mind coming and sitting Listening to Moses tell us what God says. It's easy to sit and listen because you can sleep. You can drink. We talked about that in men's prayer. I said, we look like we're coming to a ball game with all the water bottles and paraphernalia. And we're not in here five hours. We're only in here for an hour and a half at most when you get an intermission and... and um, and yet we're bringing in these water. And it's not just the water bottle. Your body may need some water. We can provide salt blocks, I said, if we need some of those things. But, but it's all the... And, 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 then, and, all, and then it spills and uh-oh and, and ice clamor and water flows. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, man, somebody needs some Depends or something I see. And they tell me, no, a water bottle fell over. And it's like, where, where, what are we coming to? Who are you coming to meet? What are you, what are you bringing a sack lunch and, and just digging in and we're just going to have a picnic? Are you coming to meet with God? Well, you know, I'd come to prayer meeting, but we got family time. There is a, there's also a Monday and there's a Tuesday and there's a Wednesday and there's a Thursday. There's a Friday. And, and, and listen, I'm not putting pressure on anybody. I'm just saying, because the, word, the thing that will kill a prayer meeting are people who don't want to be there. God knows that, so God put up a barrier and said, you don't let them come before, pass that barrier, or I will kill them. Now, I'm not God, and I'm not going to kill anybody, and, and I'm thankful God hasn't killed me, because I've been to many a prayer meeting I didn't want to be, be at, and I've met with God many times when I didn't want to meet with God. The, the key about praying is, you pray when you want to, and you pray when you don't want to. And then you pray until you do want to. The whole point is, is getting into his presence. What I'm saying is the only reason why Moses could pray for people who were bent on idolatry is because it flowed out of his intimacy with God. See, somebody, it, it's, it's the biggest, it, it's, it's, it, it is so hypocritical for somebody to say, I want to go into ministry who doesn't meet with God regularly. Ministry is meeting with God. Everything that has to do with people is the outflow, the overflow of meeting with God. i got to hurry. Moses experienced God's glory. 
Why, do we, why are we wanting people to, why are we going back through it again? Because we want you to experience the glory of God. Amen. Communion with God kindled in Moses an intense desire to know him better. Amen. I'm not wanting to, to keep people attached to religiosity. I want people to get to God. You know, what will cut down on counseling, and it's not because I don't care to meet and I don't care to counsel. I'm not thinking of it on my side. I'm thinking of it on your side. That which will solve our problems and our deepest needs is God and getting into his presence. God gave Moses such insight into the nature of his glory. Moses did not, did not see the full glory of God in its unveiled State, he only saw, according to Exodus chapter 33, verses 20 through 23, he saw the afterglow. He, he, he couldn't, God said, you couldn't handle it, Moses. Don't ever think we, we've, 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 we've gotten it all. Not only does this help me know that we have not gotten it all, hanging around Dr. Childs does that as well. Just talked with the president of Ambassador Baptist College who, who said 15 years ago, Dr. Childs walked into his office, showed him something in the Bible. He said to Dr. Bill, he said, uh, I don't ever remember seeing this before and I've read this a hundred times. And Dr. Bill said, that has stuck with me, that no matter how old you get, no matter how long you live, you will never exhaust experiencing God. Some of God's glory, it rubbed off on Moses. Exodus 34, verse 29. When Christy and I got back from our anniversary trip, people said, where have y'all been? You've been out in the sun? I always want to say, no, no, no. Well, we just bought a bottle of this and stayed home. <laughs> no, I didn't. No, yeah, you see, you're dark. Now, where does that come from? It comes from being in the sun. How much of God do you reflect? How, how much of God do you show in your disposition and your desire? Watchman Nee, Watchman nee said, where God's glory rests, we need not ask the way. Just because you found God does not mean you should stop seeking Him. A.W. Tozer said, Thirsty hearts are those whose longing have been wakened by the touch of God within them. I have put my soul as a blank check into the hands of Jesus Christ, my Redeemer, and desired Him to write upon it what He pleases. I know it will be His own image. C.S. Lewis said, joy is the serious business of heaven. Isn't that what's lacking in our churches? The joy of the Lord? Still the divine prescription for God's reflection. What is it? What's the divine prescription? Let me give this to you still and we'll, we'll get done. Now, you just know this. I will get done because i got to start again. So we will get done here. But, but I want you to get this. This is all of that to get to here. What's the divine prescription for God's reflection? Deuteronomy 10 and verse 10. Can you bring that up, Brother Cherry, and we'll save us time from turning over to there. 
Listen, listen to it. Look at it. Moses, what's the divine prescription for God's presence and reflection? I stayed in the mount. I stayed in the mount. Moses refers to his time with God and he says, I stayed in the mount. The word stayed implies I lingered in the mountain. Listen, whenever I've gone to churches and I see when people, after service is over, they get out, they get out so fast. It tells me a lot about the condition of the church. When people, you can't get them out. It says a lot about the condition of the church. When people's devotions are just a matter of a daily bread, there's nothing wrong with daily bread, but if you live off a of daily bread, but you eat nonstop physically throughout the day, or you feast at a meal, but you will live spiritually off of a daily bread, two paragraph, 30 second read, you're not going to experience the presence of God. If so, then Moses, you blew it. You wasted your time to linger on the mountain. No, Moses recognized, he realized the necessity of staying and even lingering with God on the mountain. It's significant that Moses records even the amount of time that he spent with the Lord on the mountain. That's why we have the hour with God. We must realize that beholding the Lord to be transformed before the Lord, beholding Him, it takes time. Being a person that, that makes time to be with the Lord is a sure way to experience the reflection, the presence, the transformation, the sun tan from the presence of the sun. Amen. Transformation does not happen superficially. It takes time. It takes the right kind of time. Spending quality time with the Lord. It's not time with your Bible and Instagram. It's not time with your Bible and your text. All of this is an illustration of the important truth that we must grow in our experience and our relationship with the Lord. And we're the ones who decide how high we will go with the Lord. Are you going to be part of the people at the base? Not get past the barrier? Just be content in showing up? Or are you going to go even further and be part of just the 74 but not go any further? Are you going to be with Joshua and Moses and at least get into the tabernacle? Or are you going to say, if there's another step I can take, if there's another plane that I can reach, I want to go all the way with God. Johnson Oatman Jr. wrote, I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I'm onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. So we're going to try it again. And we're going to go a little bit further. I want us to go past the barrier if you haven't gone past the barrier. I want you to get past the 74 if you haven't gotten to there. I want you to get past where Joshua lingered. And let's go to the place where Moses lingered in the presence of God. Let's stand together, please. Lord, thank you for wanting us, choosing us, loving us, meeting with us. We need thee. Oh, we need you, God. 
And I thank you that you do not disappoint hungry, thirsty hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, have a few moments. Get your water drinking in and bathroom run.